Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Cofield and Company here on a Wednesday, Battleborn Injury Lawyers in the Battleborn Broadcast Center. Busy day, busy day today. We're going to talk to our ESPN Las Vegas legal insider in just a little bit, Justin Watkins. We had a really sad, sad story uh, with one of the uh, employees of the Review Journal who was murdered the other day. And now some news is coming out. We wanted to get the legal take, so we'll get into that in about... 10 minutes or so. Ari's back in the Finley Toyota studios. John Von Tobel is here as the company. Actually, Adam Hill in a little later in the day, and then we'll find out what uh, Derek Carr and Devontae Adams had to say middle of the week in the prep for week one on the road against the hated Chargers, I guess. Yeah. Some fans are trying to stir it up. It's interesting. I know the Chargers fans hate the Raiders fans because the Raiders fans invade their stadium whether it's san diego or la now i would say that is the more intense of the rivalries between them and the chiefs i mean there i know there's a whole bus ride thing with the chiefs in recent years but i feel more animosity between chargers and raiders fans i, I think the worst one the most heated one is broncos and raiders but i don't know anymore i don't this know is, anymore yeah i had no idea yeah broncos fans are hated hmm. big time and you'll talk to old broncos players they do not like the raiders the old raiders players do not like the Broncos and yeah, the, the Chiefs thing I think is still a gigantic rivalry. It's just been kind of one sided. If you don't beat the Chiefs very often, makes it kind of right. tough to be the true rival on the other side. Uh, as a Colts fan, like people used to say, Colts Patriots was a rivalry back in the day when Peyton Manning and Tom Brady would go at it. It was not much of a rivalry. It was the Patriots kicking the crap out of the Colts pretty much every single time, except for 2006, baby. So let's talk a little basketball coming out. We'll get to the Raiders heavily in the second half of the program. Aces win last night. Did you watch the game? Uh, a little bit. I had it on. I had to. I had some work to do, so I had to. I was actually working on the NBA guide as the what WNBA guide. Huh. Why aren't you tuning in for the entire Aces game? Well, I have an interest, but I also have I things that the I, have whole, to, I didn't watch the say. whole thing either. I did catch the end of the game, and that was really the key points of the game. It was really entertaining down the stretch. Super entertaining. Um, this is going to sound like I'm being negative. When someone is on fire, you do what you want, but. Chelsea Gray was this close to being hero ball, mm. but she made all the shots. Right, she had a shot. lot, lot of one-on-one moves, and she had a bunch of pull-ups. The uh, the three she hit down the stretch was basically like a one-arm bomb from twenty-five feet away, but it just devastated Seattle. So the Storm are out. Aces are on to the finals. That was the whole point of bringing in Becky Hammond. Let's get bigger and better, and you know, hit that next level that Bill Lambeer couldn't hit. But I thought. You know, Gray got all the headlines for the 30 point, you know, 30 plus point, 10 plus assist game, and that had never happened in the playoffs in the WNBA. Uh, but it was their defense down mm-hmm. the stretch that mattered the most. And, and they even had to overcome a mistake as uh, Asia Wilson botched an inbounds pass, and Seattle got an extra possession. But I thought their defense, when it really mattered, was awesome. Uh, I would agree in the stretches that I watched. And the other thing, too, is with Gray, uh, you talk about tough shots. That jumper with 30 seconds left to go, not, not the most not the most efficient shot to take, but it goes in. But, I mean, I think this has kind of been the thing with the Aces, the every time that I've watched them, 
their play in these moments when they have needed it has been really solid. And they clearly still have their flaws when their bench still in this game only produces six points. Uh, but Williams is a plus eight in those minutes that she plays. Really solid on the defensive end of the floor. But overall, they've been able to overcome a lot of their inefficiencies with the top-heavy roster because those five are so freaking good. And they're good in those moments. And you have quality defenders like Asia Wilson, who was rewarded for that today. So you, they, that has been, I think, kind of the calling card here low-key. They've been a really good offensive team, as we know, but the defense has been really solid in stretches. So we're guaranteed to get a couple of playoff games in the finals here in Las Vegas at McAlter Arena, the MUA, and then uh, possibly a game five if someone can't close it out in four. But exciting times. You know, this is cool that it's worked out this way because there were, you know, there's a little bit of a swoon in the middle of the season. They had some injury issues as well and their defense got a little lax but you know when it came down to it when it really counted they got the job uh, job done on defense i will say seattle man they really support the storm that was a freaking raucous crowd and they also had another reason to come out and that was to cheer on sue bird in what could have been her final game and, and as it turned out was her final game that city loves sue bird and i'm not the biggest wnba fan and i don't know maybe as much as i should about sue bird it became pretty clear, man, she is a megastar in that town. She had uh, four titles for the Storm. They love her. That was I, cool. I mean, my whole point is that you don't have to, I don't think you have to know a sport in and out just to to kind of feel the moment. You know, when a group, you know, and I'm sure the same thing probably happened for a lot of people who weren't big tennis fans when they're watching Serena, you know, a week ago. And you're like, holy crap, look at the outpouring of emotion during these matches and after. I look, we, we talked about this yesterday. I've been watching the US Open, but it started with Serena and this run that she tried to go on and saying goodbye to her and her career. And I think this is, I, you could probably make an argument. It was obviously a very important match, right? Or excuse me, game match. I'm in my tennis mode. Um, but I think there were quite a few people in that building that were just there to see Sue Bird for the last time, potentially, right? Like if, if you're making a list of the importance of the event that you're at, sure, if they win and move on, that'd be great. But you want to be there just in case that is the last one. That was incredible atmosphere, especially at the end when she was making her last speech and would was eventually in a farewell speech. That was great. We're going to talk to Willie Ramirez later on about the NBA and the WNBA. That'll be in the uh, five o'clock hour. We had him scheduled early in the show, but a couple of technical difficulties. So we'll get Willie uh, in the third hour of the show. But on the way, Justin Watkins is going to step in. Got a bunch of important legal stories to get into, including and this should scare a lot of people in sports talk radio. You really have to be careful. When you throw out absolute, well, stories that you describe as absolute facts, but aren't, as Doug Gottlieb has had to retract a story from about two months ago, that whole Freddie Freeman Braves Dodgers thing. And I wonder legally, just because he retracted it and apologized, I wonder legally for Doug Gottlieb if this whole ordeal is actually over. Coming up next, ESPN Las Vegas legal analyst Justin Watkins joins Cofield and Company in studio to break down the biggest legal stories in the world of sports. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to lay down the law. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield, JVT, Justin is here. What's going on? Oh, fired up, ready to go. Let's go. Come on. Uh, what are you representing on the shirt here? Uh, Oregon State, Beavers, let's go. One and Overrated Mountain West team. And you're all no, they weren't overrated. I mean, overrated team in the Mountain West. 
Ah, well, I mean, Oregon State was favored. I mean, they were expected to win. And, uh, you know, for an Oregon State program to get a win against, I'll say, a quality opponent to start the year, it's a step in the right direction. We're in the Jonathan Smith era. We're 0 for 4 in opening games. So, Wow, I didn't know that. Look at that. We'll take it. Now 1 and 4. 1 and 4, baby. I'm also very anti-Hank Bachmeyer and the Boise State Broncos. I mean, yeah, me Ju- Justin has a right to be proud of the victory. Oh, it's a good a win. A win's a win, and it's against a quality name program. Just we right. don't know what Boise's going to be this year. I did see someone. Uh, busting onions. I think you saw it right on the UNLV uh, All Access Twitter account. I had uh, retweeted uh, some guy in the Midwest, some guy Jim Weber, was hammering on Boise, saying Boise isn't what it used to be. Well, they're definitely not. <laughs> they're definitely not what they used to be. But, but uh, I, I mean, I don't think that they – if they, I don't think they're a bottom of half of the Mountain West. I think they're somewhere in the middle of the pack this year. And, and you know, Oregon State can prove it this week. They play on the road in, in Fresno. So, a, a better Fresno State team than Boise State team. So, let's see what happens. Favorite on the road. Big spot. They're, they're favored? Like, they're like, I think they were a point and a half. Last okay, time I'm surprised they're favored. The last time they played in Fresno State that I can recall, I was there at the game. We were ranked number one in the country to start the season. Pat Hill was the coach, and we got smoked. <laughs> it, it was uh, David Carr was the quarterback. We got smoked, and there were fights the entire time in the entire stadium, even when it was a blowout. At, in my experience, the worst fans that I've ever been a part of, Fresno State. So no segue for this one because it's a very serious story. Justin Watkins is here. Battleborn Injury Lawyers, our legal insider, JBT Cofield. So one of Adam Hill's coworkers at the RJ was murdered. Yep. News came out the other day. Stabbing. Looks like right in front of his house. And we've got a slow – actually, you know what? It hasn't been slow. It, we've gotten a trickle of news. To follow this is is pretty insane, so – Take us through what you've heard in terms of the latest and uh, even go back to the beginning of the story, the initial details, and then the, the photo and the video we got of the alleged assailant. Yeah, I mean, some of the information has come in, I'll say, out of order chronologically. But I, I guess if we're going to tell the story of the latest news, which is maybe identifying a suspect, they haven't said that. Uh, but it all, all accounts seem to be pointing that way, which is that the... Clark County Public Administrator Robert Tellis, um, there had been a string of investigative reports coming from German uh, indicating that the public administrator's office in Clark County was kind of in disarray, um, putting the blame on Mr. Tellis and having a series of different stories. I think there was three or four in a row in a series of what is the current state of Clark County Public Administration office. Mr. Tellis just lost the primary. Um, Mr. German was stabbed and murdered uh, in front of his home. And some of the information we have is a photograph that include a couple of different photographs that include a vehicle. Um, I haven't heard confirmation that it's owned by Mr. Tellis, but uh, it seems that they are heavily pointing to a connection to Mr. Tellis uh, and uh, a photo of a potential suspect that's kind of covered head to toe, big hat, um, mask on, wearing an orange sort of traffic. Like uh, long sleeve jacket almost. Yeah, like a, 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 tra- a sort of a, a traffic reflective wear jacket. Um, and then today, uh, Metro raided the home of TELUS. 
Um, he has not been arrested. He has not been detained. Took away the truck in his driveway, too. Yep. Because that appears to be similar truck to the one that's been ID'd near the house yep. of the victim. I mean, if that's the case, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. That, that would require uh, quite a bit of ignorance and stupidity hmm. to park the vehicle in your to use your vehicle so and and oh, then to park it back in your driveway well allegedly part of the timeline too is once the once the police released the photo of the vehicle that they were looking for Tellez was spotted washing his car in his driveway washing it after after the photo was released so then and he did return home i don't know if you guys saw the footage he returned home i think about an hour or so ago a uh, full jumpsuit so they took sounds like all the clothes that he was wearing whatever it was and uh, returned him home flip-flops so it didn't look good. There's a lot of circumstantial stuff at this point that we know it seems, right? Well, I mean, I, I think if they had um, direct evidence and um, I hate to use this phrase in, in, a, in a murder investigation, but the smoking gun, that he wouldn't be home right now. Um, obviously, they, they need to process some of this information. I'm assuming with the clothes, they're looking at DNA evidence, see if there's something connected to German, either in the vehicle or uh, in the clothes that... Mr. Tellis was wearing. Um, obviously, that would provide the link. And then I, whatever investigation they're going to do for identifying the vehicle. Um, you know, I have to say the video of the suspect does not, to me, I've, I've only seen Mr. Tellis a couple of times at sort of political things here and there. And it it doesn't look like the same sort of body type to me, but I don't know him well enough to say. I actually saw someone kind of going vigilante and you know investigator on twitter trying to compare the gate the walk the gate is similar I, I, and, I, and I they had a video that. of of the uh, of the attacker here you know in that in that kind of landscaper garb and then the politician public servant walking down the hallway in an office again i don't know that there's enough similarity there that you could say, hey, well, that's definitely him. And the, the person on Twitter is saying, yeah, I, clearly that's him. What gets you is if you watch, so if you watch, because I'm showing Justin the video, both videos right now, if you watch the video of the alleged assailant, there's clearly like something with the right hip or something where he's walking with like a little bit of an odd gait. You can kind of see that when you're watching Tell has walked down the hall. It's a super short clip. And I don't know, you're not really going to get much out of it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and the the tough part is the picture or the video of the assailant walking. He is carrying something on his right side, right? So that's going to affect the gait as well and the arm swing as well. I don't know. I mean, that's clearly not enough for me to to say anything. the The assailant video person looks trimmer to me um, than Tellus, but I have I haven't seen Tellus in years. Right. Um, I, I don't know what he looks like today. And the video that we have, uh, I don't know how old that one is either. So. I mean, who, who knows the body type, but can I ask, so what would it take? What would the police need to execute a search warrant? Would it just be, hey, he's got a similar car. Let's go get a warrant. Or would they probably have to have something a little bit more substantial to execute? Because the report was they had multiple warrants to yeah. go and search his home and take away the car. Yeah, I mean, arguably, um, they could use the the tweets directly at German and the stories um, as a basis to say there is sort of motive. If they've been able to identify the car a little bit more conclusively for a judge, that would clearly be enough. I mean, if they say, hey, this is the car, we can match up this portion of the license plate, same make, same model, same color, then that's that's going to be enough for any judge. They're, they're going to let you get into the house and find out what's going on.
And, you know, scary story here because this um, the victim here, Jeff German, did a lot of good work over the years, went after a lot of high-profile folks, uh, cleaned up some offices, you know, reported FBI investigations. You know, I, obviously, I mean, John was saying it yesterday. He's like, well, some, something must have happened here. You know, people start jumping to conspiracy theories and the kind of work he did. Uh, but the guy had a very decorated career, and he he did go after a lot of people, and you know, rightly so, and put out some great stories. You know what first came to mind for me is is how easily people dismiss the sort of threats and the rhetoric that happens in the political landscape of things, and that it takes something like this to realize, hey man, you know, when we enable, let's say it's, let's say it's people I agree with. When I enable the extremist people that I agree with to start harassing the party or the people that are on the opposite side of me, this, I believe, and I think most people would believe is the natural consequence mm -hmm. of that enabling that extreme political discourse rather than, you know, having those leaders say to the extreme behavior, and we, and we do see it sometimes, but having it seen on the extreme behavior saying not acceptable. And actually, I think in this state, we saw it on both sides uh, in, in regards to Sisolak and Lombardo. Both were kind of harassed and both came out against the harasser of their opponent and said, hey, don't do that. Lombardo did it to the Sisolak harasser. And even though a lot of people on Lombardo's side of the aisle did not, they said he, he knew it was coming or should have known it was coming. Um, and then Sisolak did the same thing in regards to a Lombardo harasser, basically said, this is not the kind of political discourse that we should be having. Um, you know, we can have reasonable debates uh, without it getting personal and without it getting uh, offensive and aggressive. Coming up next, let's look into the uh, Doug Gottlieb case. Is, uh, he's been embroiled in a situation with a uh, Major League Baseball player and that agency, 5709000 is the number here at Battleborn Injury Lures. Dustin Watkins is with us. It's JVT. We roll on on Cofield and Company. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000, with your questions today. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to present the facts. Only on Cofield and Company. All right, let's get into this uh, Doug Gottlieb story. Doug Gottlieb, a host on Fox Sports National, also a big college basketball announcer, and uh, went on a show a few months back, was talking about, actually more than a few months back, talking about Freddie Freeman from the Braves to the Dodgers, and basically claimed that the agency handling Freeman and the deal never informed Freeman of a final offer from the Braves, and then Freeman's been kind of upset about it, and the agency came out, almost immediately once they heard it and said that you're misrepresenting what happened here. So now Gottlieb a few months later, I guess uh, today came out and retracted the story and apologized. I thought it was a weird thing to make such a definitive statement about, I, I mean, do I'm a sports listener. I'm a sports radio listener. Do I care about that story that his agent did or did not give the final offer from the Braves? Don't care. Like, Okay, it's mildly interesting for about 30 seconds. You don't? I think that's insane. That's huge. Nah, I don't think so. I mean, if unless Freddie Freeman was suing his agency for doing it, then then I don't care, right? Because it, it, it very well could have been that Freddie Freeman, if that story were true, said, I don't want to hear anything more from them. If they talk to you, don't even tell me. Just reject it out of hand. 
and then it would be true and it would be pursuant to his client's instruction. So I, I, I don't know. I just didn't care about that. And clearly by the evidence in the complaint, they missed the mark by like $35 million. They weren't even close to the Dodgers offer. So, so what? But it seemed like an odd thing to make a definitive statement of fact about that's provable, right? It's easily provable to be false. So, I mean, it didn't take long, right? I mean, he made this statement in July. They filed suit, you know, in August. We're in September. What was about to happen? He was about to get his get his deposition taken is what was about to happen. And then he's like, hey, guys, what can we do to resolve this? I'm guessing. I'm guessing. And they said, you know what? We're not looking for money. We need you to retract the statement. And so, you know, he came he came out. And well, gonna, let me read the statement. Yep. So Gottlieb said, upon further vetting of my sources, a review of the lawsuit filed against me in this matter and a direct conversation with Casey himself, that's the agent, I have learned that the conduct I alleged did not occur and that there is no credible basis for stating that it did. My ultimate uh, investigation into this matter confirms that Casey Close did, in fact, communicate all offers to Freddie Freeman and the sources I relied on were incorrect in no uncertain terms. That was written by the other side or his side? I think it was probably jointly written. Okay. In any case, I mean, I, me personally, I, I don't believe all of that statement. I don't believe he had a credible source that told him that that was the case in the first instance, because if he did, his attorneys would be telling him, you are protected. You cannot be sued for defamation if you reported something that was false and you had a reasonable basis to rely on it. It's part of the media protection. Now, we always hear about confirm your sources to two confirmations before reporting, but that's not the legal basis for defamation. In order for you to, to legally get defamation against a new source, you must prove that it's false, that they knew it was false at the time they made it, and that they were doing it with actual malice. That means the intent of the false statement was to hurt me. It's a really high standard. So if he had a source that did tell him this, then you know what, you, you, you sort of, Give him the proverbial middle finger and say, I'm part of the journalistic protections under New York Times Sullivan. I had a source. I reported what I heard. Doug Gottlieb is a journalist? This is definitely under yeah. the journalistic protections. Absolutely. Yes. Even it's, it's a newsworthy story. The person's a public figure. It is absolutely under those protections. But John does bring up a good point. There have been media people who've kind of fallen on the sword saying, you know what? I'm not a journalist. I'm an entertainer. Yep. And they've gotten the protections as well. I mean, Hannity's the most famous for saying that, and he still gets the protections under the journal. If you're reporting news, that's that's the fact, right? If you're reporting news in that statement, that, and it is of a public figure, no doubt about any of those things here, then you're going to have those protections. Wow. Man, I got something crazy to tell you guys about Derek Carr. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Casey Close, the agent on the other side, said he has retracted his statement talking about Gottlieb in its entirety and acknowledged that he got the story wrong. We consider this matter closed. Yep. Did they have to close it? Uh, he wouldn't have made the statement if they didn't. Right. right. And it, like you like you said, it looks like this was a jointly written apology. Yeah, absolutely. This was coordinated. There's no way that Gottlieb goes out there and makes an apology and then still gets sued. Right. Like it's 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 a part of the resolution of the case. Absolutely. I, I would also think that this just kind of, does this kind of tell us that Close didn't really suffer anything from this? Because, I mean, there's there's a point where if this comes out right, that an agent is withholding offers from his client, he could lose clients, he could lose money on that. I would assume that also kind of tells us a little bit that Close kind of put the fire out initially and didn't suffer any damages. Because if he did, wouldn't he go after Gottlieb for a lot? 
No, I don't think so. I mean, it depends on how much longer you got to think about the practicality of what you're doing and what it means for the future. Right. So it, if I'm an athlete, I don't know that I want my agent in, in the middle of lawsuits against news figures and, and journalists and, you know, commentary and all those other things, because I don't want to be in the middle of that. So I think it's in his best interest to just to sort of get out, get in, prove his point. He got it proven and get out and move on with the rest of his life. It doesn't mean he wasn't damaged. It's maybe it's possible. Maybe he could prove he lost a client or two in, in those months, but it happened so quickly that I would be, I, I, I tend to agree with your point. I, I doubt he had any specific damages he could point to that says, I lost this client yeah. because of because of this allegation. We're talking about the uh, case with Excel Sports Management suing Doug Gottlieb, Fox Sports Radio host in mid-July, alleging defamation by libel. Last one on this. What do you do if you're Fox Sports Radio with Gottlieb? Like case closed, we're all good? Or is this the kind of thing that... You know, he gets a suspension. Is it just on him? Does this now, does this turn into a whole conversation within the company? Like, hey, you know. Better have a conversation, there, right? right? I mean, you got to have the conversation. Now, if it turns out he can sort of point to a source and that he was actually, you know, misled. All right. I might be a little bit more forgiving about that that side of things. And that he got it resolved relatively quickly and painlessly. There's something to be said for that rather than sort of sticking to his guns forever. Um but if he just outright just said it and had no basis to say it, well, I would be concerned. Uh, although I think it's got to work in his favor that he's got a track record of, you know, a, but decade, decade and a half in radio. And this is I, I, not the only controversial thing he said, but it's the only time right. he's been sued. And I, I think if you're in the business of radio, you probably want your people walking that line, right? They want to be newsworthy. They want to get clicks. They want to get listeners and boring lawyer driven lawyer you know encapsulated messages are not entertaining to listen to i know from experience <laughs> <laughs> so if it had turned out that excel was just busting shops flexing muscle here right with gottlieb we always use that we always, we often talk about the uh, the slap right is this the kind of thing that would fall under slap if this was just kind of a junk lawsuit no uh because it has nothing to do with uh, government action Right. So the anti-slap lawsuits have to deal with trying to limit somebody's ability to exercise the rights that they have under the government. And this has nothing to do with that. Okay. I was trying to think of there was a case that uh, John Oliver covered about a uh, I think it was a Cleveland based businessman. I'll have to punch it up at some point. And, uh, you know, finally, some people started going at him for slap because that was kind of his thing is he would just bully, bully, bully. And they're like, enough's enough. Yeah. You're, you're wasting time and money and the. The court system's time, so. Well, there's certainly basis for if, if this was a routine and, and regular sort of action on the part of Excel, that they sued everybody who ever mentioned their name, they can be designated as what's called a vexatious litigant, which means you are abusing the court system, you're wasting the court's time, you're burning through judicial resources, and we will not allow you to file a lawsuit with us any further unless you meet certain requirements and the court can make whatever requirements basically that they think is reasonable under the circumstances. Um, but some, you know, I've been involved in vexatious litigant. <laughs> I had a vexatious litigant uh, or my wife did place like a $23 million tax lien against us. Just filed it just because that's what they did. They just did stuff like that. They filed things all over the place yeah. and the court created a set of circumstances under which they can file. And they had to go to court first. They had to prove why it was a, a, 
a valid lawsuit. And if the court agreed, then they could actually file a lawsuit. If the court said no, then the court would not accept the filing in the first place. So rather than making us go through the whole process of getting the case dismissed, there was a hearing up front. Justin Watkins, 5709000 is the number here at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. We're broadcasting live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center. So Marshawn Lynch was in the news about a month ago, and you know, as it turned out, they wound up uh, taking blood from Marshawn Lynch. Metro did. I'm not saying it's related to that case, but did something change with blood draw? Yeah. So I, what a what a wonderful process Metro just instituted. They now have um, they have staff in with cars through with patrol cars throughout the uh, the valley uh, that are capable uh, of drawing blood at the scene. So the process now would be is if you have a suspected DUI, um, you ask them to take a breathalyzer. If they refuse, which they have the right to, although if you refuse breathalyzer at, at the scene, you will have your license suspended for a year. That's part of the consequence of that. What used to be the case is, is then they had to get them, you know, taken, over to the jail or hospital to get their blood drawn but the window of time generally speaking needed to be two hours within the incident to have your blood drawn or go get a toxicologist to to go through the science and bring it back in time problem is toxicology was so backed up that they weren't able to get toxicologists available for the cases as needed so what they did is they've got a dozen or so uh you know, licensed, uh, you know, nurses and uh, and professionals who can draw blood at the scene. So if you refuse a breathalyzer, they can call in, um, make a oral hearing and an oral argument to the judge, get a warrant, draw the blood right there. And I think it's I think it's a wonderful program. Um, or if if the cop doesn't have one of the blood draws in their uh, patrol car. They're, they're around town. Somebody will get over there definitely within two hours. So I think it's a wonderful program because, number one, we're, we're more, much more likely to get the toxicologist freed up for when we actually need them. Number two, if that's going to happen to you, why deny the breathalyzer now, right? Like, they're just going to come draw the blood, and you're going to be stuck there for another hour. So much more likely that actually people don't, you know, once people see this system come into place and start working, that they're not going to say no to the breathalyzer anymore. Wasn't there something with rugs in a blood draw? Well, so yeah, th that was part of it as well. There's, but his was within the two hour window, but they were arguing about the manner in which it was drawn at, okay. you know? So now where it gets really interesting is obviously, you know, a, a DUI in regards to marijuana is a different sort of test, but it's based on blood. So now we have this procedure where we're going to get the blood in time, but it doesn't change the fact of what we've talked about for a long time, which there's fatal flaws with that marijuana test and somewhere along the way the da is going to allow that thing to get challenged i mean to this point every major high profile case in which somebody has the means to challenge it and go all the way they sort of dropped it right and i think that you'll continue to see that trend the marijuana test and the marijuana dui is only going to stick to people who don't have means Last story to hit. Uh, I know you were here when we saw the story of John Gruden speaking to the Arkansas Touchdown Club, and I don't know that we ever got to play the audio for you, and I just wanted from an attorney if Gruden handled the questioning and a couple of statements correctly. So let's fire the the first one here as uh, John Gruden uh, talks about being sorry and then throws in the but. 
I'm not going to um, say anything but honest things here. I'm ashamed about uh, what has uh, come about in these emails, and I'll make no uh, excuses for it. It's just, it's, it's shameful. But I am a good person. I believe that. I, I'm, I, I go to church. I've been married for 31 years. I got three great boys. I still love football. I've made some mistakes, but I don't think anybody else in here hasn't. Uh, and I just ask for forgiveness, and hopefully I get another shot. Okay, gets an ovation there. Uh, also, as we pointed out multiple times, he did throw out at the audience. I'm sure you know none of you are perfect either. I was like, that was a nice touch. Um, from a legal standpoint, though, you know, if you're his, his attorneys, you're like, okay, good, pretty good. I mean, yeah. I, I give it a B. You know, I mean, could it have been handled a little, uh, shown maybe a little bit more remorse, a little bit more space between what I've done wrong and the butt part? Yeah, yeah, I think it could have. I think it could have been there, but I, I think if he's going to make his way back into football, that's got to be the message, right? I, I did wrong. I'm not going to say that I didn't do wrong. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I try to be a good person. There's reason to believe there's a lot more good in my past than bad. And so I'm asking for forgiveness for the bad. Allow me to do more good. Uh, and, and, you know, give me another shot. I mean, in the in the in the sort of spectrum of offenses that have earned a second shot in the NFL, this is on like the the most the least egregious side of things in which players or other personnel in the NFL owners on down have had a second shot or a second chance. So, I mean, from my perspective, if I were an owner or, or let's say a college football uh, administrator, AD, president, would I give Gruden another shot? I would. We don't know what Bruce Allen, who was on the other end of this email stuff, said yesterday. House Oversight Committee, 10 hours? Yeah. I mean, is that a procedural thing that it takes that long? or It can. I mean, should we should we be thinking here, man, what did he say? Well, it depends on what, what the kind of questions are. It doesn't necessarily mean that it was 10 hours of substantive answers. I mean, they could have covered – I mean, this, this is the House Oversight Committee, and they're not focused on the John Gruden emails, right? They're focused on the commander's uh, overall workplace environment. And so, I mean, he's got – what 12 years at the at the uh at the commanders prior to his dismissal um most of which was during these allegations and so every house member is going to have uh some area or topic that's important to them that are covered in the deposition and so it very well could have been you know minutes upon minutes of reviewing documents to understand what the question is and then a yes or a no. It doesn't mean substantively we've got 10 hours of rolling tape about how, <laughs> you know, this is all going to work. It doesn't mean that we don't have that, though, too. We could. Uh, but time doesn't necessarily equal substance. It could have been 10 hours of him evading. Long, evasive answers. Could have yeah, been that. I have no idea, you know, what he said. My, my guess is that most of these guys who work for the NFL, around the NFL, we'll kind of stay quiet. I unless he's in the crosshair somehow. I think he. I think he that think he was a, a cooperating witness. Okay. Just by the statements made by the House Committee about how they're pleased to have him, uh, it was very cordial. It was not. Uh, at least my take on the statements were nothing along the lines of "We've got him now" or. After you know months of you know refusing to meet with us or anything like that, um, no indication that it seemed that Allen was trying to evade them 
or run from them. So, and there are usually negotiations behind the scene of, yep. about what's going to possibly go on for sure. Okay. So that, so there may have been conversations like, Hey, you know what? You're okay. Yep. Just be honest with us. Yep. Oh boy. Or, you know, um, his attorney saying, you know, in theory, if my client knows, you know, X, Y, and Z, how would the house committee look at that? You know, sure. Come on. I mean, <laughs> let's not be naive. I mean, is all that technically above board and according to the strict interpretations of the ethics rules? Maybe not, but I'm not naive to, enough to think that that's not happening. I mean, this is this is politics. This is the intersection of politics, law, and professional sports, man. It's like, come on. If you think they're all play, a bunch of squares in there playing by the strictest rules, um, I think you're fooling yourself. I have to admit I committed a show sin because I'm usually on top of this. I did not get to watch the finale of Hard Knocks. Okay. Uh, we'll probably hit it a little bit later with Adam, and he can spill the beans. Anyone listening now, maybe you don't want to listen for the next couple seconds. Any spoilers? I don't have any spoilers. I mean, I didn't think Pretty it was... Pretty good going out? Oh, it's okay. I mean, I, the, the only... I think the impression they sort of left us with was uh, an impression of hope and that the the coaches and the management and the staff have the respect of the players. They, they tried to press into that pretty heavily. <laughs> okay. mm -hmm. And so I, that's... I was like, oh, okay. This, this was like, of all the episodes, this was the puff piece. This was... Hey, we're heading in the right direction. We got the right people doing the right things, and it wasn't coming from their mouths; it was coming from others' mouths. Are you buying it? No, I'm not. No, I mean, I like Campbell. I don't trust him as a head coach. I again, like I thought from the very beginning, I think he's a position coach, miscast as a head coach. I don't know. I don't know. He might have something, man. He might have something. The players indicated to him like that they respected how they that he let them be them. I think there's something to that. But uh, I don't know. It, in today's day and age, if you're still doing the rah-rah stuff as, like, your main thing, there's guys out there with the analytics, the numbers, they're just going to blow you out of the water. Well, I mean, if you're a team that's routinely two, three wins, you need some rah-rah. <laughs> Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000, with your questions today. You are listening to Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. 570-9000 is a number for our ESPN Las Vegas legal insider, Justin Watkins, Matt Hoffman, and the rest of the crew at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. John Von Tobel's here, Cofield, on a Wednesday. Well, I feel ashamed to say this. But for me, baseball is really tough in September. It really, there's a lot. Football just takes over, man. And we got the aces. And so I know we've got some competitive races down the stretch. And both of the New York teams, right? Uh, Las Vegas people talking about New York teams. It's annoying, uh, very annoying. But both are having a little bit of a tough time here down the stretch. No one feels sorry for the Yankees at all. Uh, if the Yankees have weaknesses, it's on them. The Mets story is interesting, though, because just when it felt like they were getting right, they start to get dinged up, and now we get issues with Scherzer for the Mets, and the Braves are friggin' steaming along. It's incredible. It doesn't mean the Mets are going to miss the playoffs, though. No, they've no, got no. they've got a safe lead because they've had an amazing season, but there's a big advantage to winning the division, right? Like that's that's what's kind of funny about this, right? And even with the new format, too, if you make a wild card berth, it's not like the end of the world, but there's just something narratively hilarious about the Mets and keep it like the Mets are 86 and 51. They're 35 games above 500. 
right? My math is correct. Yeah. yeah so we're at what, what, about 147 games. They're playing good baseball. Right. So, you know, if they go 500 the rest of the way, they're going to be in the low 90s to mid 90s and wins. That's a good season. But because recently they're playing 500 ball and the Braves again are on, I think, their fourth seven game winning streak of the season. And by the way, I jumped ahead 10 games. Yeah. We're about 135, 136, 137 okay. in. So they still have a pretty good chance of, you know, say you go whatever, 13 wins the rest of the way. They're going to be near 100 wins. Yep. And they might not but win. But 500 division. might not be good enough. <laughs> they might not win their division. And Scherzer goes on the IL, so he's going to miss. He calls it like an achy, like oblique injury. It sounds like it's going to be the minimum, like two starts, and then he's going to come back. And they dealt really well at the beginning of the year without both Scherzer and DeGrom. The difference, though, here is, remember at the beginning of the year, remember a little name, Tyler McGill? He was incredible through his first six starts. He was one of the big reasons why the Mets were able to kind of sustain this winning way at the beginning of the season because McGill was out of this world through his first six or seven starts. Tell that to my one of my two terrible Cy Young tickets that I have. You want to know what my two Cy Young tickets have in my, I have in my pocket? I have Josh Hader, Boy. and I've got Tyler McGill. Oh, wow. Yeah, so those aren't going to get anything. Uh, but I think that's kind of the subtle difference here is – like the pitching, you wonder, yes, DeGrom is back, but you wonder if that's going to hold up. Because McGill coming back from IL, but they're already talking about him as a bullpen guy, not a starter at the front end. And he kind of blew up at his last couple starts before he went back on the IL. So I think ultimately they're going to be fine. But it is very Metsian to have this happen to them, right? To be having one of the best seasons like in a while, have DeGrom and Scherzer pitching extremely well, but then have the Braves just not being able to stop winning, and then you sitting here and going, this could all be for a wild card berth. I mean, do you feel bad for the Mets? They're relying on a guy who's basically a 100-inning pitcher now in DeGrom, mm. and they did make a big acquisition with a 37-year-old pitcher who's thrown 55,000 innings. I feel bad. I think it's easier to feel bad for the Mets from okay. my standpoint than it is for the Yankees. Oh, yeah. No, you no, no one feels yeah. bad. No one feels bad for the Yankees Like if there's a, if there's a If there's a New York team that I can kind of get behind a little bit, like I have found myself – watching Mets games more often than for some reason. I just kind of like the team for two. Well, you know, there's a different vibe from the fans, too. Well, that's very true, too. You know, they're losers, not, not to be hard. I mean, Love they're lovable losers, losers right? Yeah. They've, been, they've lost most of their existence, so they get extra hyped when they win. I think the Braves are a tremendous story, and the Braves organization is one of the top five in all of sports because everything they plug in, I swear, every one they bring up just works. Yeah. Grissom from double A. Guys hitting like 350. They're gonna have the they're gonna have the rookie of the year, probably, right? Like it's just it's incredible what they're able to do. To lose a guy like Freddie Freeman, huh? arguably be better than they were a season ago. We're fine. Yep. We've just got dude after dude coming up through the minors. And it speaks to somebody who's a fan of a team who can't get it right with the farm system. It's doable. You have <laughs> and, 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 and it goes for anybody too, right? But you it's to me, it's even more impressive for a team like Atlanta because you see a team like Baltimore that is in the running for a wild card berth this year. And they're doing it. They kind of did it the right way in that they, they were really bad, really terrible, built up their farm system, and now they're like an adequate baseball team and they have some really good upside in future years. But Atlanta, they just keep doing it while maintaining their relevancy. That's the difference. Houston's been kind of doing that too with these pitchers they continue to churn out in their minor leagues. But Atlanta, it's incredible what they've been able to do. Yeah. Danzy Swanson, a top pick. Yep. You know, in the first round. Austin Riley's come through. They made a good deal and didn't overspend for, 
Matt Olson, he's been okay. Grissom, you mentioned Michael Harris as a, a rookie. Ozuna's a freaking disaster off the field, but he's still a productive so Spencer player. Spencer Strider, that's what and I'm talking about. Spencer Strider's been freaking great. I think he's like a $3 favorite to win Rookie of the Year now in the National League, somewhere in that range. And he pitched today, uh, 10 wins now, six innings, another big strikeout game with nine strikeouts. So, so does he have 25 strikeouts over his last two starts, I think? It's he's, crazy. <laughs> it's totally crazy. It's wild. Monday Night Football is back with Cofield and company. It's going to be at... Twin Peaks, check it out on Monday as Willie Ramirez is hosting the party. You got the big 22-ounce beer, less than 4 bucks, And, of course, the ladies of Twin Peaks will see you at 2 o'clock on Monday.